putting the band back together. The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Well, happy Friday. Welcome to the final WTMJ Nights. Oh, no, is that foreboding? I'll explain it all. I've been getting a lot of questions. But first, let me tell you, we have a great show planned, and I want you to get involved. 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. When you call in, you'll be talking to Evan. Oh, my goodness. Evan and I have not worked together in now Evan tells me it's two years. That that can't be possible. For TMJ night, yes, but I did work with you at the fair uh state fair at one point. Right. And Evan used to be my producer when I did a weekend show here, and then he moved out. He was doing all sorts of sports and weekend stuff. And so now Evan is back with me tonight. Very, very exciting. We'll uh we'll touch base in a minute. Um so you can talk, you can text, you can do all that. Let's get to this first, because I mentioned that this is the final WTMJ Nights. That does not mean I'm going anywhere. It does not mean the show is going anywhere. It just, I know if you've been listening to WTMJ all week, it's been a very exciting week here. Because on Monday, the 19th of February, year of our Lord, 2024, we are going to unveil a new format, a new branding, I guess, a new direction. There's a lot going on. But we have a new lineup, a new vision here at WTMJ, which takes into account our old vision, which is to serve you and serve Milwaukee and serve Wisconsin, um, and go a little more information-focused. We had we had great news programs before, right? You know this. We had the morning news. We had the afternoon news. Uh, we had great talk show hosts throughout the day. We had a pretty good talk show host at night, if I might pat myself on the back. I was going to wait for Evan to jump in, but I don't know if he would have done that. So we'll, uh, you know, it's been, a, it's been a few years. He may have forgotten how great I was, I say, with tongue firmly planted in cheek. But anyway, so some new programs and stuff are coming out, and this is going to be very, very exciting. Part of the change in direction and focus will affect this show a little bit, but overall not too much. The tone of this show is going to stay the same. The name of this show is changing drastically. <laughs> and by drastically, I mean it's going from WTMJ nights to WTMJ at night. I know. You're going to have to you're going to have to replace all your stationery. You're going to have to replace all that. Uh, and then we'll, then we will move on. But it's going to be starting Monday, WTMJ at night. I will still be the host. Uh, you will still be the listeners and callers and texters, which I am very happy about. The focus of the show isn't really going to change too much either. We've always talked about the, uh, the big stories of the day, not only here in Milwaukee, but around Wisconsin and around the nation. We'll still do that. We're going to cover the news. We're going to be, uh, integrating things that may have happened earlier in the day that you might have missed here on WTMJ. And we're going to do it in the style that you've become accustomed to when you listen to me, which is slightly irre irreverent, not irrelevant, irreverent, um, humor thrown in. But um, I'm excited that we're going to be less of an island. 
You know, sometimes, and Evan, you can back me up on this, when we're here at night, when we come in or, or when I'm in the building and you're in the, we're really the only ones in the building other than the people at The Truth and ESPN. Upstairs is empty. Everybody's gone home. We don't really, um, there's not really, um, well, there's no people around, so we are an island unto ourselves, which explains why we get away with a lot more stuff than probably uh, we should, because really, uh, the grown-ups are out of the building. But now we're going to get to play with the grown-ups a little more, and that'll be fun. So we're going to be integrating things that happen throughout the day, talking about the big stories that interest you, and having fun doing it. So it's going to be a way to end the night like we have been always with information and humor and conversation, and that's that. So the biggest change is the name, and uh, I don't think you'll notice much difference. But... You'll notice difference throughout the day, and it's going to be great. And then there will be stuff that, that we do at night that will hinge on that, and that will be great too. Well, great as I cross my fingers and say, yeah, let's hope so. But um, but it will be. So, uh, Evan, you're part of it. You're going to be here. You're still going to be doing your weekend stuff. You're going to be handling a lot of sports and stuff with the new uh, the new focus, I guess we'll call it. Well, that's kind of the hope. I'm typically here midday, noon to six on Saturdays. I make sure, you know, that shift doesn't have yeah. any problems. And now we got Brewer Baseball returning to the airwaves here on WTMJ oh. next Saturday. So I'll be getting all those highlights. And then, you know, we got Bucks games mixed in and all that as well. So. Right. So the same rules apply. I'll be here when there's no <laughs> sports. Uh, which which sometimes will be a lot. Sometimes, Well, this week it was not. This week, uh, this week is it. So... The nice thing is, oh man, I got to tell you, Evan, I've already heard. Uh, we got a new open for the show. The big voice guy cut a nice open. Uh, I have w- had one issue with it, and uh, we'll address that on Monday when we play it. I've already I've already talked to the uh, talked to the powers that be about it, and they were like, oh well, then make fun of it, and we'll add that to the open. And I was like, oh, I could do that. That seems to be right in my wheelhouse. So and I just have to remember be- to do that. To make fun of it? Yeah, it's, well, a, minute, it's a long weekend. Trust me, the minute I hear it, I'm going to make fun of it. <laughs> the minute I hear it, there's because it was the first thing that popped into my mind when I heard it, and it's great. The big voice guy does a great job. And, I, you know, when he says my it's it's very exciting when he says my name and the show starts. Um, and they've, they picked out a pretty good song to put under it, a song that I know. And, uh, and it's it's an oldie, so that, that kind of fits too. And then, um, but one thing jumped out. Now, this is a long, this is a big tease. You won't be able to hear about it till Monday. But uh, be here Monday night at 7, and you'll, at 7.07, when the news is over, boom, we'll hit it, and then I'll make fun of it, and we'll move on. And then <laughs> then who, uh, who was producing on Monday? Oh, Isaac. Isaac's Monday. On. That's the other thing. With this new show comes a new uh, cadre of producers. You will be Friday nights when we have shows, correct, Evan? Uh, I am this Friday night, but I'm going to be out the next two Fridays. Oh, boy, oh, boy. All right, here we go again. Well, may, I, I'll probably be producing the show myself. So that's, <laughs> they'll, you know. they'll have somebody here for you. Not sure <laughs> who, but somebody. Will be, we might grab somebody from the marker hall and say, hey, you're at this board. That would be fine, you know. Whatever. It's uh, I, I've become fairly self-sufficient, so <laughs> we'll be all right. But anyway, listen, Monday, you'll hear the new intro. You'll hear me make fun of it, which is um, not to bite the hand that feeds me. I've already 
I've already been given instructions. Uh, hey, that's a good question. Why don't you make fun of it, and then we'll figure it out. So there we go. All right, so tonight let's get to it. We're here till 9 o'clock. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. And I want to know from you if you are in favor or not. There's been more discussion today. What do you think about traffic cameras in Milwaukee? Uh, I have much experience with traffic cameras, none of none of which were uh, positive. But we'll get to that and more. 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. And, yes. For at least an hour and 45 minutes, it's WTMJ Nights. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. All right, new to WTMJ Nights. Glad you're here. All right. Uh, in Once again, uh, a lot of, a number of Milwaukee's elected officials are calling on the state legislature to allow the city to use automatic traffic enforcement cameras a.k.a. red light cameras, oh boy, to, uh, well, to monitor things. They're saying, this is great, this is going to be, it's going to be much safer, trust me. Uh, right now, the use of those cameras is forbidden under state law. Uh, just hearing this, are you ready for red light cameras in Milwaukee? 855-616-1620. Um, Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley has been trying to get these things through since 2017. Uh, he introduced the legislation to create a pilot program in Milwaukee then, and, uh, well, it didn't go anywhere in Madison, so it did not happen. But today he was joined by the mayor and some alder people and state elected officials saying, yes, we need to do this because reckless driving has become an epidemic here in Milwaukee County, they said. Uh, we want to guarantee stricter enforcement of traffic laws, reduce the cost of enforcement, but also allow officers to focus on other public safety challenges in our community. That, again, was David Crowley saying that. Um, according to the research, they say that automatic traffic cameras can reduce crashes that result in injury and death, but their use in a lot of cities has uh, raised some questions to funding issues, uh, some other concerns, where they're putting the traffic cameras, how much is getting kicked back to the traffic camera companies and the people who sponsored it. There's a lot going on with these traffic cameras. And as I've mentioned, I've had uh, numerous run-ins with the traffic cameras in Chicago, one of the uh, cities that is using them, and one of the cities that the mayor and everybody here in Milwaukee County is looking at to try to pattern their program after. Well, here's the thing. They have, uh, in, in the city of Chicago and in some of the surrounding suburbs, there has been a lot of controversy over these cameras because, yes, in theory, they're installed to for public safety. But let's be honest, the same thing that uh, the same thing that happens in Chicago will happen here. It's going to mm, line the pockets of some people. It's not. It's going to cut down on T-bone accidents, right angle accidents, which they say cause the most uh, deaths and injuries. But national studies show it didn't. It it actually increases rear end accidents. Know why? 
Yes, because everybody gets to the intersection. The yellow light comes on just as you're about to enter the intersection. You panic, slam on the brakes. The guy behind you is like, oh, the light hasn't even turned yet. Bam. And they put them everywhere. All right, 855-616-1620. Jeff is in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brian. Um, I don't think that traffic cameras will help with the people who steal the cars and drive around like maniacs, but I do think that it could help at least a little bit with the people who are law-abiding citizens and are just more aggressive than they should be with running red lights, cutoffs, and tailgating. Well, I agree with you on the stealing the car. If somebody's if if somebody for whatever reason has committed a crime and is driving crazy, they're not going to worry at all about a red uh, red light camera. Um, yes, it. I think for running red lights, it's a good idea. I think in some of the like in a school zone, I think it's a good idea. But there's still there's a lot of things that need to be worked out. But Jeff, thank you for the call. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and yeah, listen. At least, I know in Chicago, if your car is stolen or, you know, and you've reported your car stolen, you're not going to get a ticket. Wow, isn't that, isn't that big of the, uh, of the city to not ticket you when your car, when your car has been stolen? So today there weren't a lot of details coming from the mayor or the, uh, county executives or any of the other politicians that were gathered around. So we really don't know. They do say, that you'd only get a speeding ticket if you were going 20 miles over the limit. Now, okay, who's going 20 miles over the limit on a, you know, surface street? I can see on the expressway, but they're not going to put these on the expressway. These are for surface streets. So that's it. But if it if it follows the pattern that it has in other cities, they'll say, okay, we're going to start at 20 miles an hour over. And that's not going to do anything. Then they're going to drop it down to 15 and 10. And now in some of the areas, at least in Chicago, five miles. So if you're going by a park, even if there's nobody around the park, and you're going five miles an hour over, you're getting that $100 ticket. If you go through an intersection on the, it's really tricky. And they have them at stop sites too. Like, if you pull up to an intersection and it's right turn on red, well, we all know the letter of the law is you must come to a complete stop. That is when you feel your car roll back a little bit. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of this, if there's nobody coming in any direction, I'll slow down, I'll stop to the point where my car is no longer going forward, but it hasn't rolled back yet. And I go through, hey, guess what? Yep. Uh, my wife's opening the envelope going, you got another ticket. And you could say, Brian, why don't you drive uh, more passively? And I'll say, because I'm not built that way. I can't do it. But I will obey the speed limit uh, unless I'm on the interstate. So we'll get into a little more of this. But first, we must do a little business because it is WTMJ Nights. Now more of WTMJ Nights. We've been talking about the uh, proposal that was presented again today uh, by a number of elected officials, including the mayor, that's uh, asking for traffic cameras. 
traffic enforcement cameras. Now, here, here are the numbers. In 2021, crashes involving red light running killed more than 1,100 people in the U.S. That's according to the Insurance Institute. A review of studies on cameras, I mentioned this before, it said they reduced the overall number of crashes and the number of injury crashes, but an evaluation by the U.S. Department of Transportation found the decrease in right-angle crashes justify the increase in rear-end crashes because injuries are less in the rear-end crashes. I don't know. So uh, Milwaukee has been having quite a bit of trouble with reckless driving, and so now everybody's trying to get on board with this. Uh, some of the cities that still use them, Chicago, Denver, New Orleans, New York City, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, D.C. Crashes dropped last year in Milwaukee. Traffic deaths still remain high, which is why they're pushing for this again. Uh, I think overall the numbers bear out, but you need a lot of oversight to make sure this is a uh, a program that is enforced fairly across the board because that has been a big thing in a lot of cities, saying that... Um, You've got to, uh, you got to, you know, you got to put them in the right neighborhoods. You got to put them everywhere because there there have been accusations of putting them in certain neighborhoods of certain ethnicities and not. But um, yeah, the city, the traffic deaths dropped from seventy four or from seventy seven to seventy four in twenty twenty three. Car crashes fell five percent in twenty twenty three. We'll see, but. That's all going to uh, all going to be happening or not. We will find out. On the other side of the news, uh, let's stay in our cars. A shocking statistic, and a uh, something that maybe you've heard of. Maybe you are part of this statistic. I couldn't believe it, but there's a uh, there's something else being pushed in Madison that um, is a little. I think a little more doable than uh, the traffic enforcement cameras. What that is? Well, you're going to have to wait to find out till after the news. Back to WTMJ Nights. Brian Nooner, WTMJ Nights, 855-616-1620 is the WTMJ Talk and Text line. Jump in at your leisure. Uh, Evan, if I were to ask you, what percentage of Wisconsin drivers have had at least one conviction for OWI? Mm, 12%. 12%. That would be a lot. It would also be woefully low. I was shocked, and I don't know if you would, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you believe this, but uh, it's not my numbers. 20%. Wow. 20% of licensed drivers in Wisconsin have had at least one OWI. Um, the reason I bring this up is because, one, it's shocking. Two, State Senator Charles, or Chris Larson, rather, is for the seventh time, the seventh time he's trying to pass a law that would require all motorists convicted of OWI offenses, even first-timers, to get the alcohol-detecting ignition interlock devices for their car. You know what those are, right? They're they're about the size of a cell phone, and they have a little camera on the dashboard facing the driver so they can see that it is, in fact, the driver who is taking this, basically a breathalyzer test. So you have to blow into this thing, 
has to tell you, yes, guess what? Uh, you're not uh, under the influence, so you can actually drive your car. So we'll let it, uh, you know, we'll let it start. Now, he's done this again. This is the seventh time he's tried to get this going. And he said, too many people drive while intoxicated, thinking they're unlikely to be caught and that if they are pulled over, it won't affect their lives. We need to do more to change our dangerous culture of drinking and driving. He was, did this at a news conference. He had Mothers Against Drunk Driving representatives with him. I guess I didn't, I haven't paid attention to the drunk driving laws in Wisconsin because I, not that, listen, in the past we've all done stupid things. I'm not going to say I'm innocent of never having done something stupid because that would be disingenuous. Uh, I, I don't really, I don't do it anymore because well, I'm old and I never go out. Evan, you know that. I'd like to stay in the house. I'm a, I'm a curmudgeon. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way now. I work too much and I just want to yeah. be at home and relax rather than go out. Right. In my 20s, I was dumb. Um, but now now it's so easy to not drink a drive. You know, to you can get an Uber. You can have somebody else drive you. You can stay at home and people will deliver stuff right to your house. So you, you never have to do it. But um, Wisconsin has some of the loosest... Laws uh, for interlock use on vehicles driven by people who were convicted of this. Um, the They say, and it's true, I'm guessing, but it makes perfect sense, that if these interlock devices had been put on people who have been convicted of this already, it would play a vital role in preventing uh, a lot of fatal crashes around the state, including the one in uh, Wyoiga in December, um, so I don't know why this is taking so long because, well, I guess it's because people don't, people don't want to take responsibility. You don't get a felony conviction for an OWI until your fourth offense. The first three, unless you, unless you really hurt somebody or you have a blood alcohol content that is way high, um, they're misdemeanors. So if you blow and it's not over the limit, but it's pretty close, and you're obviously impaired, misdemeanor. Hey, guess what? You did it again. All right, misdemeanor. You better check yourself uh, before you wreck yourself or somebody else. Third time, yeah, okay, guess what? We're, uh, we're All right, another misdemeanor. Third time's the charm, right? You're going to learn your lesson. Now, fourth time, that's too many. And again, I'm not, I'm not a saint, so I'm not trying to appear judgmental, but you gotta learn a lesson. You should learn a lesson after, after one. You should change your ways. By the time you're on your fourth one, you are habitual in my book. You, right? Come on. How lonesome are you that you have to drink alone, that nobody can drive you home? Or, you know what? Instead of buying that last beer, save it for your Uber. Depends on where you're drinking, I guess. If you're at a place that's doing like uh, two dollar drafts, probably can't get an Uber for two bucks. But you know what I'm saying. Um, so that just, boy, it it's it just seemed it seemed that the percentages are way off, and we do kind of we don't. We, if you think about back in the day, that was never a thing, you know. And then thank drunk drunk driving. Nobody cared, you know, unless somebody killed somebody. 
Everybody was driving drunk. Then, thankfully, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and other laws came into effect, and we had to pay attention to getting behind the wheel of a car. Uh, and now they're trying to get this done. Uh, so why why is Chris Larson so dead set on getting this passed? Why, what's, his, what's his beef with drunk drivers? Well, it's personal, obviously, and that's a good thing because... In 1998, on Christmas Eve, one of his good friends and a classmate at Moore High School had been killed by a drunk driver the night before. So he's got skin in the game, and if there is a game to have skin in, this is definitely one. So I I would back this 100%. Listen, you and I don't have to pay for it. It costs about $120 a month. The person who is convicted and has to have this interlock installed in their car $120 a month, they have to pay for it. Um, Again, just to to reiterate these numbers, because I would hope that you're as shocked as I am when you hear them. About 770,000 of Wisconsin's 4.3 million licensed drivers have at least one conviction. In 2022, more than 23,000 people were convicted of an OWI offense. Nearly a third of all traffic-related fatalities were attributed to impaired driving. Uh, The CDC promotes the idea of ignition interlocks, uh, says they reduce drunk driving recidivism by 67%. In Wisconsin, such devices have have prevented more than 410,000 drunk driving attempts during a 16-year period. So if it's doing that for people who are getting them further down the line, why not do it? Why not do it after the first offense, too? Then we got to start. Now, I know in Wisconsin, cannabis is still illegal. But let's be honest. We've all looked over and seen somebody uh, vaping or, you know, taking their taking their little cannabis break while they're driving. we got to crack down on that next, too, because that is getting... Ridiculous. All right, let's do this. We're going to take a little break, and then, oh, my goodness, I have to talk to you about dolls. Yes, I know, don't get whiplash. We're going 180 degrees from drunk driving to dolls. That's why we're still WTMJ Nights. This is WTMJ Nights. Everybody's living in a Barbie world. Come on. I finally watched Barbie the other day. Uh, last weekend we watched Barbie, and I got to tell you, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than my wife, which I found curious. But my wife was never a Barbie. She said she didn't play with Barbies that much when she was a kid. I didn't play with Barbies at all, yet I found the movie to be odd and quirky. And yes, I know, oh, Brian, what about the heavy-handedness of the feminist movement? I'm secure in my manhood, and I know how to treat women, so I was not offended at all by the uh, the heavy-handed message. And um, I thought it was funny. I thought Kate McKinnon was great. I thought uh, the Kens, the Kens were hilarious. So, if you haven't seen Barbie, I know like now it's on. If you get any of the, if you get HBO, it's it's on there. You don't have to. Um, if you're already paying for HBO, you can you can see it. Uh, we didn't have my daughter who is now a grown woman, um, she didn't play with Barbies really either. She had a few, you know, a couple of Barbies. Most of the dolls in our house were American Girl dolls. 
And I know just hearing those two words, American Girl Strikes Dread, into the hearts of many parents. Because if you are entrenched in the American Girl culture, it's a lot of money. And I don't know when... All right, if your daughter was into American Girl dolls, did they play with them or just look at them? Because in our house now... I don't think we, my wife and I, actually ever bought my daughter an American Girl doll. They were all, my daughter is the first grandchild on both sides of the family. She's the first girl in my family, uh, because I have four brothers. So the minute she was born, my parents put in dibs, because my daughter's name is Molly. Uh, They wanted to get her the Molly American Girl doll. And if you don't know about American Girl dolls, uh, one, count yourself semi-fortunate, and two, where have you been? In 1986, uh, Pleasant Roland, is a, she was a former school teacher and textbook author. She loved history, so she decided she was going to create the American Girl Dolls, who each represented an American historical era. Then she founded the Pleasant Company, which manufactured the dolls, books, and their accessories. She drove that, grew that business up to a $300 million business by the late 90s. I'm sure we donated a good chunk of that. Um, Then she sold it to Mattel in 1998 for $700 million. Last year, Forbes named her one of the 70, named her the 77th richest self-made woman in America and the fourth richest in Wisconsin. She has a net worth of about $350 million. So, uh, all right. So there's the history of American girls. The, the, oh man. We, so my, my mom and dad gave her her first American girl doll. Then it was like an arms race between my parents, my dad's sister, my aunt, uh, who didn't have, doesn't have, didn't have children, and my in laws. And everybody was, Oh, man, that was all my daughter used to get, American Girls. She had uh, the American Girl dolls, a number of them. She had Biddy Baby. That's the baby American Girl doll. Now, Evan, I'm sure you know uh, you're all well-versed in American Girl dolls, so I don't. Uh, when I say this, I the explanation seems a little, you know, extra. Yeah, I know all about it. I'm just letting you handle it, though, to make sure you know all about it. All right, listen. If you if you if I get something wrong, feel free to jump in because I'll do my uh, best. It is <laughs> the bitty baby uh, has is the baby, and it comes with a you know straw. You got to buy the straw basket, and then it's a whole big thing. Um, and then she had Angelita Ballerina, which is a mouse, and the mouse came with a friend and costumes. And uh, a stage and a whole big setup. And then, of course, all the American Girls uh, stuff. The baby had all the baby furniture. And the dolls themselves had the books and the clothes. And then you go to the American Girls store with your doll. And you have lunch and tea. Or you can go to the beauty salon. And I say all of that to say that American Girl Doll is closing its Madison area corporate office this spring. That's right. They're moving out, closing the... uh, closing the Middleton location, and they are moving to Los Angeles. It's going to affect about 30 jobs. Um, Mattel is moving them out. This I always love when they say this. All right, if you live in the Madison-Middleton area, um, they're moving this whole operation, the 30 jobs, to El Segundo, California. It's quite a distance. 
It's not an easy commute daily from Middleton to El Segundo. And yet Mattel tells the people who are losing their jobs, oh, you should just uh, reapply for the same position in California. Okay. Uh, that seems like a huge jump. But some people might be looking for a move, and I'm, and maybe if you're high enough up in the co- company, your salary would uh, make it, desirable for you to apply for your job, but I don't know how many people in this uh, 30 are of that level. So uh, most of the, some of the workforce is going to continue to work remotely. The DeForest Distribution Center is not going to be impacted. Um, About 220 American Girl employees will remain working in Wisconsin, which is good. They've done this before, though. In 2018, American Girl cut 21 jobs in Wisconsin due to sales drop. Uh, Then that spring, they closed the Kenosha County Call Center and Warehouse, cutting another 135 jobs. So American Girl is leaving the area. But uh, they'll still be, you know, you'll still be able to find them everywhere. Oh, man, God forbid you get one of those uh, knockoff American Girls. That's, Evan, I'm I'm sure you've seen the black market American Girls. Like at Target and stuff. They they kind of look the same, but they're a little bit off. Can't try to pass those off as yeah. American girls. There are ways to truly tell what the knockoffs are and what they're not, but we just don't have enough time. We'd have to conv- uh, dedicate That's, a whole show to just talking about how to tell the differences. Well, yeah, and then you have to get into the chemistry of the plastic and uh, the the shininess of the eye, the irises that they use in there, and how the arms and legs, the the... Mm, patented movements. I recommend bringing a tape measure or a ruler just to truly be sure it's the correct one. I know that one year, or maybe a couple times, my daughter and her doll had matching outfits. Uh, One time for Easter, there was a, I remember it vividly, it was a a lilac-colored dress. Now, I, of course, had... I had nothing to do with the American Girl purchases, but it was cute. You know, my daughter was maybe three or four, so she and her doll had matching dresses. And then when she was, I think, in kindergarten, she wanted to be a hippie for Halloween. I don't even know where she learned about hippies, because, uh, you know, I think they're all uh, dirty and smell like patchouli oil, all the hippies. But she wanted to be a hippie, and she got her American Girl doll the hippie costume, too. So that was always fun. One of the worst moments i think for most fathers i was twice dispatched to go get something at the american girl store uh and there is nothing to make you feel creepier than if you are a a a man walking in without a child or a female guest to the american girl store because everybody's kind of giving you the side eye. They give you the benefit of the doubt at first, going, this must be a dad or an uncle or somebody coming in to buy something for his kid. But if you don't know exactly what you want and you just start wandering around, after a while they're looking at you like, this guy's trouble. So we got to make sure, you know, we got to make sure we keep an eyeball on him. All right, before we go away, this is very exciting news. Uh, coming up for St. Patrick's Day, if you're a fan of the cream puffs at the State Fair and who isn't, uh, two new flavors coming out for St. Patrick's Day, and I, man, they both sound good, but they are Irish cream and mint chocolate. I'll put a hurt on some mint chocolate cream puffs. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, Wisconsin State Fair, if you're listening, 
You know where we are. Anyway, they're going to be, you know, the State Fair has the plain ones. They've put out signature holiday ones every once in a while. Well, these are going to be available for um, from March 15th, 11 till 5, the 16th and the 17th from 9 until 3. If you want to order, if you order before March 10th, oh, my goodness, you get a $3 discount. Three packs would cost $14.00. And uh, six packs are going to be running $25. You can go to the Wisconsin State Fair's website, place your order early, and uh, man, three pack and six pack. But you can't mix them. You can't mix them. So just make sure you get a couple of boxes. All right, we got to do this, then the news, and then we'll be back for hour number two of the big broadcast right here on WTMJ Nights. The day is over, but the night has just begun. This is WTMJ Nights, live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue. Here's your host, Brian Noonan. Welcome to hour number two of the big broadcast. If you want to get involved, 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Friday night, Evan is here, I am here, you are here, so let's talk about eating on a Friday night, eating anywhere in Milwaukee, Milwaukee getting a big, big endorsement today on Eater, uh, they made their where to eat list, uh, rejoining the ranks of the top food cities, it was last on the list four years ago, that was uh, right before the pandemic hit, and all the restaurants that were on there all of a sudden had to shut down. But let's hope that doesn't happen again, that there's not an eater jinx, like there's the Madden jinx for football players or football teams, and that uh, this year things can go good. So Milwaukee's uh, appearance on the list came after Eater asked the public to vote for their favorite U.S. food destinations. There were four cities that they could choose from, Kansas City, Louisville, Kentucky, Salt Lake City, and Milwaukee. And uh, the answer, according to the people at Eater, was resoundingly Milwaukee. Everybody loves Milwaukee for food. Now, I I will say uh, Kansas City, great for steaks and barbecue. I don't know what Louisville is uh, known for other than the the hot brown. You ever heard of a hot brown, Evan? I can't say that I have. It's not a term that I'm using, you know, to cover up something nasty. It is like an open-faced sandwich, the hot brown. Salt Lake City, I have no idea. Milwaukee, everything. So um, then they took it and they said, all right, let's do global. So they made the global list, too. Milwaukee you know, is on that list. Uh, Osaka, Japan, Izmir, Turkey, Udon, Tanhi, Thailand, and, uh, boy, some islands that I cannot pronounce. Sacramento and Philadelphia also made the list from the U.S. So my question to you is, all right, Milwaukee is a great food city. We've got a lot of great restaurants. They put 38 in the Eater story about this, 38 essential Milwaukee restaurants. The first one on the list, of course, was uh, Cops to get yourself some custard and burgers. Uh, so that was on there first. And then there are every kind of restaurant, from little bistros to uh, Lakefront Brewery is on there because of their fish fry So they all and their curds. So, I would say they put curds on there, too. Yeah, they got the curds on there. Uh, and then fancier restaurants, you know, like the real foodie kind of joints like Ardent, and uh, but there's pizza places on there, uh, 
Zafiro's Pizza and Bar on Brady Street in Milwaukee. So, uh, you know, high end, low end. If you were, if you were in charge of greeting people who were coming to Milwaukee for the first time, whether they were relocating or just here for a few days, and they like, they said, listen. We want to eat some of the best food in Milwaukee. All right, where are you taking them? Where are you taking these people? What? And it doesn't, it can be, as I said, this list has a whole range of different kinds of restaurants because a lot of times, let's be honest, we hear these foodie recommendations or these, these lists of restaurants, and I'm fairly experimental when it comes to eating, but I'm much more of a guy who likes standard comfort food. I like a good steak. I like a good fish fry. I like pot roast and meatloaf and, you know. But if I'm somewhere and somebody says, we have to go to this restaurant because they have X, Y, Z, I will try all kinds of stuff. Evan, are you experimental when it comes to eating or are you pretty much a straight-ahead guy? All right. Evan is Evan is actually working, uh, so I, I should not be bothering him. All right, now like uh, I'm looking at this, and it looks uh, this this restaurant Birch, it uh, it looks very exciting. So they have roots. Uh, the chef has roots in Alabama, and he uh, worked in New York, and he started a spot in New Orleans. He um, let's see, heavy on charring, smoking, and wood firing, which all sounds good. Charred beef tartare. It sounds like a hamburger. I could be wrong. I thought steak. T- I I know steak tartare, beef tartare is raw. If you char it, uh, anyway, chicken under a brick, fish and smoked carrot salsa, house made tortillas, our apt showstoppers. Uh, I will I will try. I think I've tried pretty much anything. I've tried things as uh, disgusting as chicken feet, and if you love chicken feet and I said they were disgusting and that upset you, I apologize. But, um, yeah, I tried chicken feet. They were gross. Um, I don't – I've had friends of mine try to get me to try Rocky Mountain oysters. That's really the only thing I won't or I haven't tried. I don't think I would try that, though. I don't either. That's the one thing that I would say, nah, I'm probably going to have to skip out on that one. That's, uh, no. Uh, according to this story, Milwaukee will have lots of eyes on it again. As we know, in a couple months, the Republican National Convention is going to be here, so people will be eating. Hopefully all of these restaurants in the city and the surrounding area, the county, everywhere, all the way up through Madison, wherever people are staying for the convention, do very, very well. Um because there's, uh, let's see, there's just there's great stuff, and I, I, Loopy and Iris, they they shouted out for their goat cheese tart with smoked trout. I would try that. Um, so there you go, lot of good food here in Milwaukee, and we are getting kudos for it. A lot of national love and worldwide love. So uh, if you want, you can go check that article out on Eater.com. Best restaurants in Milwaukee. And then you can read about some other cities that you may want to go to and try their food out. All right, here's the one thing I won't go to. I won't go to one of those, um, uh, what is it, gastro kind of, where they turn the food into foam and stuff. I have no desire for that. I, I want to eat what? They, some of these places, I forget, it's, it's gastro something. 
and they break the food down to molecular levels. And it'll be like, hey, here's your steak, but it's foam. You can count me out of that, too. Yeah. First of all, uh, when I eat, I want to feel like I've eaten something. Uh, Foam is what I blow off the top of my beer. Uh, It's not what I eat for dinner. Um, So that that would be the I would pass on that. And I say that only because, yes, sometimes I'm uh, I'm a little closed minded. I try not to be, but I'm not I'm not a picky eater at all, but I definitely would not probably hit that up. I I was a picky eater when I was a kid. Like all I wanted to eat was hamburgers. Whenever we would go out, that's all I wanted to eat was hamburgers. Uh, or at, like at home, my mom would just cook, and that was it. We we cooked, but we didn't have a lot of like we never had Mexican food at home. The only time my mom would make tacos, and when I say tacos, it was like you know the Lowry's package over the hamburger, and then the hard shells was when my dad was at a meeting or something because he didn't like. He didn't like Mexican food. He didn't like Chinese food. So, you know, that was another thing that sometimes uh, my mom would get Chinese food. We, we'd get some Chinese food when my dad wasn't home. Because when he was home, we were eating, you know, meat and potatoes That was and vegetables. And that was fine. It was good. Um, but I don't remember when I got more adventurous. I don't know if it was after college or there, whenever there was a certain point in my life where I was just like, all right, I'm going to try stuff because worst thing, worse, I don't like it, and then I move on to something else. From the um, 414, I would never eat sweetbreads either. No. No, I think, yeah. I got to agree with you on that, that as well. Uh, do you have a, is there a meal that you've had sometime in your life, Evan, that is very memorable? Like one you can pull up and go, it, it, for whatever reason, this meal I remember having. Not in a, never in like a bad way, like, ooh, I'm not going to eat that again. But I would say I can't really pick one. There's just, you know, you're talking about a lot of great restaurants in Milwaukee. There's a lot of great restaurants there. There's a lot of great places in southeastern Wisconsin and the Kenosha Racine area, too, that are just incredible food. I, I guess uh, I can't really pinpoint one. I, when I was growing up, because my mom used to work at a Kmart store when those existed, when yeah. I was a kid and, and growing up in Madison, we would always, not always, but we would from time to time hit up the, uh, at the time it was a Little Caesars, and it became like a, a little in-store restaurant. Like we would eat right. dinner there on occasion. That's probably the only okay. thing that really stands out. I, I only ask that because... I like I've eaten a lot of great meals at a lot of great places. Uh, I've made great meals and had great meals made for me at my own home when I was growing up. My mom, you know, I remember all the like the Christmases and Thanksgiving; those were great. But for some reason, I was driving home from Los Angeles with my daughter. She had done an internship in California, and we're driving home, and we got to the uh, Utah border. And it was late, and we were trying. We were checking into a hotel, and we were trying to find something to eat. And there was a restaurant in the hotel, and I was like, oh, I've had really bad experiences in my life with hotel restaurants. So we drove up and down in this town trying to find a restaurant, and we went to one, and we sat for about 15 minutes, and nobody came to the table, and because I had been driving all day, I was very cranky, and we left. 
And I was like, screw it. We'll go and try this Italian restaurant in the hotel. My, I learned this phrase from my dad. He used to say it all the time. It's not your last meal. But someday it will be. I just don't know when that's going to be. So I, I had this pumpkin yunky with this, this sauce that had like short rib in it and a, a fat tire beer. And my daughter was with me, and it was one of the greatest meals. And I don't know if it was because I was so tired and hungry. I think it was a combination of that and the food just being so surprisingly good. I will never forget that meal. All right, we got to do a little business. And when we come back, uh, I got to ask Evan about this because I picked this uh, this next story just because I knew he was going to be with me. We'll get to that after this. It's WTMJ Nights. You're listening to WTMJ Nights. Welcome back. Yes, it is WTMJ Nights. But wait till Monday. Then it'll all be different. Not really. It'll be a little different. Not too much. All right. I saw this story today, and I thought of you, Evan, because you're very involved in uh, sports. You've got your sports podcast. You uh, you officiate. You do all kinds of things. Broadcast high school football on our sister station, The Truth in the Fall, as well. Oh, very nice. That's right. So this is a football story. Uh, you remember the scandal at Penn State, right, with Jerry Sandusky? Yeah. And you remember uh, former head coach Joe Paterno, the late Joe Paterno, who died in 2012. Uh, because of this, he was fired. His statue was removed from the school. The NCAA vacated his wins between 98 and 2011. They did actually restore those. Uh, and Penn State was fined $60 million and hit with a number of recruiting sanctions, all because uh, Jerry Sandusky uh, was a scumbag and was um, abusing young people. So anyway, so that's all in the past, right? Uh, I have a weird connection now with Penn State because my daughter is dating a young man who went to Penn State, was actually a marching Nittany Lion, and took her to a Penn State game this year for homecoming. Um, but again, he was there after all this craziness and, you know, Penn state has, they're, they're, they lost their luster for a while, but Evan, you follow college football. Would you say Penn state is kind of back to pre-scandal heights or are they still suffering a little from this? Uh, I would say they're kind of back to the pre-scandal heights, except when they have a big game to play. When they play the, like Ohio state, your Michigan, they can't yeah. seem to win the big one. Right, and that was they used to be able to do that. Yeah, not too much right now. Not too much anymore. That's kind well, of Franklin's mo right now. Is he can't win the big games. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's I. I don't follow Penn State, I, and again, it has nothing to do with the scandal. I just they were not a team that I follow. Well, the reason I bring up Penn State uh, is not because hey, woo, Penn State. It's because a report came out today or yesterday rather that. Um, Penn State trustees and high-ranking university representatives met privately twice in January to discuss whether to name the football field at Beaver Stadium after Joe Paterno. Now, there's a lot of a uh, lot of issues about those meetings because they're supposed to hold those meetings in the open, you know, in front of people so they can see. Um, and that is because they passed a. Uh, uh, 
a law that says, you know, you guys have been you guys have been hiding this stuff from public view and uh, meeting behind closed doors for way too long. So, according to this report, the administration and the board of trustees have embarked on numerous change initiatives based on President Bendapudi's uh, vision and goals and are focused on these priorities to continue to provide a world-class academic and student experience for years to come. Um, th- that was a spokesman for the board, and uh, they were just doing some... There were nothing... No deliberation. They weren't making any decisions. They were just chit-chatting. So, all right, I, I don't care about the board and when they meet and the trustees and all that. I started thinking, if you're a Penn State alum, if you're a Penn State student, if you're a college football fan, just the idea of naming the field, then now it'd be it'd still be Beaver Stadium, but they would name the field after Joe Paterno. I think it's a bad idea. You know, uh, he was part of this scandal. Whether you believe, oh, he was old and he didn't know. and I never believed it for a second back then. I don't believe it for a second now. He was the man in charge of that program. He knew what was going on. Whether he condoned it, whether, uh, you know, if you believe that some players came and talked to him and other people talked to him and he just shined it on because he was everybody's, oh, he's just Grandpa Joe, right? He's everybody's favorite coach. No, I think it's a big mistake. And if I was connected in any way with Penn State, I would not want that. But I figured, Evan, you would have opinions on this because, like I said, you're you're very involved in sports. I think it's a horrible idea. What do you think? I think it's a bad idea too. There's you, you cannot convince me that Joe Paterno did not know what was going on and he kept his not. his head in the sand. It's you look at kind of similar situation on you know what's going on with the WWE and Vince McMahon and a lot of people that work with uh, Vince trying to play the I didn't know card. Well, no, you knew you you knew yeah, you, you knew. just looked the other way because. Sandowski was a very good defensive coordinator, and that was more important to you than the the children that was entrusted to his care that he violated and traumatized for decades with his foundation that he had. And there's no way Joe Paterno could not have known that. And from reading the reports on it, people told him that, hey, you've got to do something about him, and he still didn't do it. To me, it's it's it, it shouldn't be done. It's going to open up a lot of bad wounds and trauma that does not need to be open at this point because the survivors of Sandowski need to heal, and this is going to open up a lot of past trauma that they faced, and I just don't think he deserves it. And I don't think it's good for a university that has tried to move on from this to open themselves up to everything coming back up again not that it should be buried obviously we need to you know you have to for the people who survived it's got to be it's got to be talked about it's got to be dealt with and over the last decade it has been but you don't then throw it in their face and go well it's been long enough hasn't it yes i know you were abused by this guy but come on it's football it's joe paterno we gotta can't we just name the field after him that's not saying we don't care yes it is if, if as a university you do this, you basically spit in the face of all the people who were affected negatively by this scandal. 
You're saying our football legacy means more than our university legacy as a whole and more than your, you know, the, more than the role we played, whether passively or not, in allowing this to happen to you. And it surprised me that even at this point, they would they would consider this. What could be... There can't be any more financial benefit for the university's football program. If you win, you're going to be successful. Doesn't matter if there's a name on the field or not. If you lose, you're probably still going to be financially successful because you have so many backers. You have uh, a legendary program, whether they're struggling now or not. It's still Penn State, and Penn State is synonymous with football. But if you want Penn State and football to stay synonymous without bringing in all the garbage that uh, Sandusky and, uh, and at the end, Paterno brought into it, then why would you even consider doing this? Yeah, I hope it's something that it doesn't do because it's just, like I mentioned, it's going to bring the scars and the trauma back to the children who were victimized for yeah. all those years. It's just going to open up those old wounds again and... You know, let people heal. Paterno, you know, yeah, he was a quote-unquote great football coach, but it doesn't mean he deserves these accolades anymore because he showed that he probably wasn't as great of a person as people tried to say that he was. The fact that he had an opportunity to take care of this, and he didn't. Oh, here's breaking news, Evan. Uh, Camp Randall Stadium is going to rename their field Ed Gein Field. It'll be very exciting. Yeah. Nothing? That's nothing? <laughs> I I got nothing. I, I don't even know what to say there. It, it was a joke, Evan. I know. It's not really happening. I know. <laughs> I just had no comeback there. It's all right. Yeah, so all right. Well, good. It's when, listen, we all know that these big football schools, the amount of money brought in by those programs is astronomical. The amount of money pumped in by boosters and alums and supporters and everything else, you don't need to do this. And it just struck me as very tone deaf, even now. You know, some things never go away. And if you you just let them die their own death and don't shine a light on them anymore, as long as you've fessed up to your role in this, which I think Penn State did, they took action. You don't need to honor a guy who, in the end, proved that he wasn't what everybody said he was. All right, let's do this, and then we're going to honor a guy who is who everybody said he was and who everybody says he is, and we'll do that after this on WTMJ Nights. This is WTMJ Nights. until 9 o'clock. Then after that, it's Dave Ramsey, and then it's the rest of the weekend. Hopefully you have uh, some pl- some nice plans for the weekend. Anything big on your agenda, Evan? You doing anything fun? I will be sitting right here at this board, starting at 12 o'clock tomorrow, uh, hitting buttons and making sure you know, everything runs smooth. Wow, that's that sounds incredibly fun. Yeah, I might do something after I get out of here, but I, you know, plans could change at the last minute. Who knows? Who knows? Well, yeah, it's uh, I'm plan. Well, 
what do I? Oh, tomorrow I am hosting a big uh, trivia night event at the Irish American Hall of Fame, so that'll be uh, that'll be fun. Are you being and inducted then, too? I'm not being inducted. Uh, you I should actually, be. I well, listen. I'm I've been on the board of the hall for a long time. I MC the gala every year. Uh, one of these years, I'm going. I always say I always joke that I should be inducted, and then every year I look at the people who are being inducted, and I'm like, oh boy, these these people really deserve it. They really deserve being inducted. Like uh, one of our inductees this year is uh, a guy who's a doctor, and he was on Skylab, and his parents and grandparents all came from Ireland. It is a uh, yeah. So they've all all these people have done wonderful wonderful things. And tomorrow we're doing this uh, trivia night fundraiser, which I've hosted the last couple years too. So that'll be fun. And then uh, Sunday, uh, Sunday we're going out to dinner with my ma. My daughter and her Penn State boyfriend are going to join us. I would. All right, Evan, give me. A, should I bring up that story while we're eating? Like, just go. Hey, what do you think? Should they name the field after Joe Paterno? Yeah, I guess it depends on if uh, you have a. A lull in conversation. You can say, "Hey, guess what I talked about on my show last night?" Yeah. Well, I was thinking of you the other night because I talked about this. You know, because he's a nice yeah. kid. I don't want to offend him. Uh, I don't know if he's a kid. Yeah, he's a kid. Yeah, he's me, still he's a kid. kid. He's twenty six, seven. He's a kid, but he's getting his PhD, so he's a smart kid. You know, that's uh, that's not. Yeah, I try. So the first time I meet him. Uh, my daughter's like, yeah, he's uh, he's getting his PhD in some sort of chemistry, and I remember like six things on the periodic table from chemistry. So I try, I jokingly go, yeah, that's really all I remember. I remember krypton, neon, argon, um, and radon. And he's like, okay, Debbie. I'm like, oh, stop! Don't think I'm a dummy. Uh, were you a Peanuts fan growing up? Evan, or are you still a Peanuts fan? You're talking about the show, not the food, right? <laughs> ah, good. Cl- yes, yeah. Yes, I, I did enjoy I Peanuts. You know, like your Charlie Brown Christmas, your Charlie Brown yes. Thanksgiving, and then enjoyed reading the comic strip in the morning when I was looking at the morning newspaper after my dad finished reading it. I'd get the comics <laughs> and the sports page. He he had to read it first, and then sure. I could read it. I, I don't know. He just didn't like reading it after somebody else read it before no, him. I, listen. A pristine newspaper is one of a man's few simple pleasures. And you don't want your kids getting it and wrinkling it up and folding it wrong, and then it comes back and all the pages aren't where they're supposed to be. I get it. At our house, my dad read the paper first, except on Sunday, he would let us, on the Sunday paper, the comics, the funnies, are their own section. So we could go through, we could get that section, and we could get the entertainment section that had the movie listings. That he'd let us take first. The rest he would read. And really, when we were little, I didn't want to, you know, I'd read, I'd look at the sports, I'd do that, but that was it. The reason I'm asking is because finally, a Peanuts character who has not gotten a lot of attention on his own and who really was groundbreaking is getting his own show and it is, uh, it is premiering, uh, tonight, I believe. Yes. All right. Yes, tonight. It's premiering tonight, and it's Franklin. You know who Franklin is? Franklin is the African-American yeah. uh, That's what I was thinking. Yep, that's Franklin. And, uh, you know, Franklin came in 
and uh, hangs around. Charlie Brown's his friend. He hangs around with the Peanuts gang. In recent years, uh, people have started to say, oh, look how... Look at that at the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Franklin sitting all by himself on one side of the table. Blah, blah, blah. Relax. Okay? Just just relax. So this is very exciting because tonight Franklin gets his own show. He is getting a uh, getting his own show because uh, it's called Welcome Home Franklin. So if you don't know the history of Franklin, Franklin was not part of the original Peanuts gang. And then when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated... A school teacher sent Charles Schultz a note. Her name was Harriet Glickman. She wrote a letter to Charles Schultz, and she said, Hey, you know, the country's kind of divided. Um, you should add a black character to the comic strip. And that's going to change, uh, as she put it, the vast sea of misunderstanding, hate, fear, and violence that existed in the country. And Charles Schultz hesitated, not because he didn't agree with her, but because he said he didn't want to come off as being patronizing and saying, oh, you know, oh, here we go. Let me, here you go, folks. You're, you're upset. Let me give you a, a character. He didn't want to do that. So he sent her a letter and, and explained that. So Harriet Glickman takes that letter, and she goes around to a bunch of her friends. And all her black friends were like, no, this, is, this would be great if the Peanuts uh, gang had a black character. So Charles Schultz decides, he draws Franklin. July 31st, 1968, Franklin comes on the scene, and unlike some of the other characters, he didn't really have a, a quirk to his personality. You know what I mean? Franklin was just a regular kid. He wasn't bossy like Lucy or, you know, philosophical like Linus. He, didn't, uh, he wasn't a born loser like Charlie Brown, and I'm sorry, Charlie Brown, that I called you a born loser. Just... Uh... Seems that way, you know, you can overcome it, I'm sure. Get a different shirt, maybe. Who knows? But anyway, Franklin was just a regular kid because he, Charles Schultz did it intentionally because he didn't want Franklin to cause any, um, he didn't want him to cause any ripples. He didn't want to stir up controversy with Franklin. He wanted Franklin to be just another member of the group, just hanging around. So tonight... Welcome Home Franklin is debuting, and it's all about inclusivity in Peanuts. And I know there's going to be some people go, oh, another woke cartoon about blah, blah, blah. No, it's just a cartoon about friends, and one friend is uh, different than the other, and they all get along, and there's nothing wrong with that. So relax just a little bit. So Franklin, now we're going to get some history on Franklin. He's a child of a military family. And they have to move around a lot. So, early in the story, he arrives at this uh, at his latest town, and he sees a schoolyard filled with the Peanuts gang, who are, let's be honest, all white. Uh, and he said, one thing was for sure, there was a lack of variety in this place. So, Franklin meets Charlie Brown uh, at the beach, how he did... Originally in 1968, he gives Charlie Brown back his lost beach ball. They become friends. They team up on a soapbox derby. Then they find out that they both like baseball. So they start talking about baseball. And uh, they don't they don't really address race in this cartoon. They just kind of, uh, things come out. Like Charlie Brown asks Franklin about what kind of music he likes. 
and Franklin says, "Oh, I like uh, I like jazz. I like Stevie Wonder, Little Richard." And then uh, when they're talking about baseball, Franklin says, "Oh, my grandfather used to play in the Negro Leagues," and he explains it to Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown says, "Wow, a kid can learn a lot hanging around with you, Franklin." So I think uh, I think this is terrific. I'm, you know, will I watch it? You bet I watch it. Why not? I I am. I've got uh, what do we got? I got Apple Plus TV. I think I had too too many streaming services, Evan. That's the problem. Uh, but there you go. So Franklin is getting his due tonight. It's on Apple Plus TV. Uh, welcome home, Franklin. There you go. All right, so we had a nice, happy story. Now we'll have a story about a plague. Oh, boy. And, uh, well, buckle up. We'll talk about it after this. WTMJ Nights. Now more of WTMJ Nights. It is Brian Noonan, WTMJ Nights, 855 is the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Here's a sentence I never thought I'd say, but there's been a lot of those over the years. Bubonic plague case has been confirmed. The bubonic plague, remember? Uh, thankfully, we haven't been through it. You remember the bubonic plague, right? Killed about a uh, third of Europe's population in the Middle Ages. Well, it's uh, it's popped up in Oregon. One case of bubonic plague, but that's uh, that's how other diseases started. But I don't want to panic everybody. Um, I will say it's another reason not to like cats. And I know we have, uh, I know some of you really love your cat, and I don't, uh, you know, I don't judge. I'm a dog guy. Nobody got bubonic plague from a dog. Uh, experts say don't worry about it. This is, now earlier I talked about the statistic of people in Wisconsin who have been convicted of OWI. That statistic surprised me that 20% of Wisconsin drivers have been convicted of that. Uh this surprised me too that it's not unusual to have isolated cases of bubonic plague. Uh it's serious when it happens according to the professor of infectious diseases at John Hopkins University Bloomberg School of Public Health. But uh, it's treatable if you catch it early enough. Well, I would hope so. So authorities did confirm uh, last week that the infected person caught the plague from their house cat. And why might that be? Because cats go after rodents. And that's how people can get bubonic plague. Uh, if you remember the Middle Ages, Evan, you were around in the Middle Ages. You remember them. Uh, slightly. You're a Renaissance man. Uh, the Middle Ages, that's how the rats were the ones carrying the bubonic plague. And um, that's really how it goes. It's uh, because back in the day, people were living right on top of each other with a lot of rats around. Well, now we don't have a lot of rats around, which is good. Um, or at least, you know, in a lot of places. I still freak out anytime I see a rat. If I'm somewhere in in the in the city and a rat shoots out of the alley or from behind a garbage can, even if I'm in my car, I'm like, ugh, a rat. Um, now, bubonic plague you cannot get from another human being. You got to get it through fleas or contacts from an infected animal. Hence the rodents. Um, so there's a lot of uh, right now. Even though we have a number of cases, about ten cases a year in the United States. 
10 cases a year of bubonic plague. Uh, don't worry about it. Just stay away from rats. Uh, they say, now, <laughs> there is, listen, you come to this show for education. And if you do, I, I apologize. I don't know. I don't know why you would do that. You're supposed to come here for like some information, a couple of laughs, nice easy way to end the night. Um, but we try to we try to throw a little education in there. So Evan, I know you've been texting me since I started this story. Uh, how can I stop the transmission of bubonic plague, Brian? Please, if there's anything you can do before we get out of here on this Friday night, inform us on how to stop bubonic plague. All right, Evan, you can stop. You can stop texting me. Here you go. Um, if you have a cat, are you, do you have a pet, Evan? Do you have a cat? I do not have a cat or a pet at the moment. All right. Don't get a cat. That's one. But if you do have a cat, uh, try to discourage them from hunting rodents. If I get a cat, I will yell at them. Do not go after this mouse. Right. Sit down with your cat. Uh, have a, have one of those say no to rodents talks that we, we've always talked about. We hear about all the time. Uh, if your cat is nice enough to bring you a present, perhaps your cat kills the uh, aforementioned mouse or a rat or some other sort of rodent. Don't touch that rodent. What are you doing? That's crazy. Leave it alone. Use a, use a shovel or something. Don't feed squirrels, chipmunks, and rodents. I never would feed a... The guy across the street from me feeds the squirrels all the time. So there's always a ton of squirrels in his yard, plus it's attracting stray cats. And then stray cats come, and they come under my bush, and they do their business. So when the windows are open, we get a waft of cat, uh, you know, which is never fun. So don't feed them. Don't do, uh, don't do any of that. Tell your cats to stay away from rodents. And don't panic. I'm sure the bubonic plague is not going to get us. Uh, it's just somebody with a wily house cat. Oh, boy. Not, uh, not enough to worry about. All right. Let me leave you with a fun story about a, uh, a naked man in Florida. Because nothing says, hey, it's the weekend, like taking off all your clothes. Uh, the TSA didn't have to ask this guy to remove his shoes. An alleged drunk and fully naked Florida man was arrested after he was caught casually strolling through an airport terminal before he attempted to walk past security. He's a 36-year-old man. He parked his car outside the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, and the footage shows him just wandering nonchalantly through the check-in lanes of Terminal 1 as passengers diverted away from his nudity. TSA is getting very demanding now. Well, listen, uh, a lot of times I'll go to the airport, and I just wish I didn't have these pesky clothes on. Well, he did that. Then he tried to walk through the screening area and attempted to open a door marked restricted access. Made his way past the screening area. How do you do that? I'm clothed with my ID out, my shoes off, my computer's out of the bag. I can't get through TSA. This naked guy just wanders right through. Um, finally, uh, TSA agents got him. He resisted arrest. There's footage of him bent over the baggage control belt. Oh, boy. Uh, so just be careful, folks. Leave your clothes on. If, if you learn nothing else uh, other than how to prevent bubonic plague and to not uh, be naked in the airport, you've learned a lot. Well, that's it for the big show. Uh, Monday night, the whole station changes. Monday morning, be here for the big change. Evan, thank you. Great working with you again. I will talk to you soon. Have a wonderful weekend. Dave Ramsey on the other side of the news. Talk to you Monday night on WTMJ.